In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today we are taking up the theme that the baptism of our Lord transforms judgment to justification. Now, the imagery here that we find in the baptism of our Lord is imagery that we might not really realize the Old Testament background to it because we kind of have certain lenses or goggles on. You know, the way that we perceive things can be very different from one circumstance to the next, depending upon the lenses that we use. Now, an example of this would be my grandmother's house that she owned before she moved to where she presently lives. Uh, my grandmother used to live in Warsaw, Missouri. Uh, she now lives in Greeley, Colorado. And I remember when the lenses were changed for me on her house. Uh, growing up, my grandmother's house was perhaps the greatest building in the world. This was more beautiful than the Taj Mahal. This was glittering more than the Ritz-Carlton in New York City. Not that I've been to either of these places. To me, my grandmother's house was the absolute best place you could possibly be. It was an amazing palace in my eyes. I remember thinking of it that way until the very last time I visited it before she moved. And my grandmother, my grandfather had passed away and it was time for my grandmother to move closer to my parents in uh, Greeley. And at that time I had bought and sold and bought another house. So I was familiar with the home buying process. And I began to look around at this house from the perspective of a potential home buyer. And boy, that was a really different way to look at it. You know, this place that I thought was more beautiful than the Taj Mahal, I realized, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of dumpy. <laughs> this place that to me that glittered with, uh, you know, the, the gleam of the Ritz-Carlton instead was, was kind of dated. You know, I looked around and, you know, the carpeting I realized was 20 years old or older and it had rips all in it all over the place. Uh, the walls had gouges in them from where my grandfather had gouged it with his uh, electric wheelchair. Uh, the linoleum was probably even older than the carpet and looked like something from the Brady Bunch. It had, you know, kind of crummy popcorn ceiling where half the popcorn had come off. I realized, I can't believe that I never realized that until this time, my, my poor grandmother had been doing all of her dishes by hand. There was no dishwasher. I realized, well, you know, this really wasn't that nice of a place. You see, I, I had these rosy colored goggles or lenses because of the love that my grandmother had given me in this place, right? And it changed the way I perceived it. Now, when we look at baptism, a lot of times we look at it from now going back, right? And when we look at the baptism of our Lord, we look at it through the lenses of the baptisms of our children and our grandchildren, our nieces and our nephews and our, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that happened here. Uh, we look at it through those kinds of lenses and we see something that is lovely, beautiful, and, and maybe even a little bit impotent. But if we go from the other direction, 
If we go from the Old Testament and look at the baptism of our Lord from that perspective, from the other direction, we can see that the imagery in the baptism of our Lord is really startling imagery. This is stuff that might be actually rather terrifying until the voice of the Father shows up. Let's take a look at three details that we find similar imagery in in other accounts of the Old Testament. So we're going to look at the details of the heaven opening, right? To us, that sounds wonderful. Wouldn't that be wonderful to see the heavens open? Maybe not so much if we look at it from the perspective of the Old Testament. Then we're going to look at this imagery of Christ being baptized in the river, right? That sounds good. You know, water has good connotations for us because of its associations for baptism. But once again, when we look at it from the perspective of the Old Testament, it becomes a little bit more ambiguous. And finally, we're going to take a look at this detail of the Spirit descending. Again, to us, this sounds wonderful, right? We look at it through the context of baptism in which we were blessed with the Spirit. We look at it through the context of Pentecost, but once again, if we look from the perspective of the Old Testament, it becomes a little bit more ambiguous once again. So, let's take a look at this. First of all, we're going to take a look at Genesis chapter 7. Usually, I might be a little bit offended if you look at your phones during service, but if you want to pull out your phones and get your Bible apps open, that's certainly appropriate today as we look at these passages. Genesis chapter 7. There we find the account of Noah. Now, let's be clear, first of all, is that Noah was a weirdo. Noah was strange, at least in contrast to everybody else on the face of the planet. So the world was consumed with sin and death and destruction and and chaos on account of the rebellious ways in which everybody else walked. There was only one righteous man. And let me tell you, he probably seems strange, right? Seems strange, first of all, for building a huge ship in the middle of the desert. Why in the world would you do that, Noah? But that was maybe even less strange than the fact that he walked in the ways of the Lord God. Something, and this is a bit of an aside to the sermon, something that concerns me about Christians today is that we believe if we simply conform our lives to the way that everybody else lives, well then that's the way that is right and true and good. It's a little bit of a carryover from, you know, 40 years ago when, you know, basically more or less to be a good American was to be a good Christian and to be a good Christian was to be a good American. And there was at least an illusion that if you followed in the way that everybody else went, well, then you were within the bounds of what a Christian life looked like. It's not that way anymore. If we follow in the ways that everybody else around us goes, we will not be identifiably Christian. We will not be following in the ways of Christ. It alarms me that so many Christians take their cues for what is good, for what is right, for what is true, from what they see around them. 
Instead of wanting to be a weirdo like Noah, who looks different, but yet was a righteous man on account of the fact that he was different. So let's get back to the sermon proper here. So here in uh, Genesis 7, we find these words. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventh day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. The same imagery of heaven opening. And what are the heavens open to do? These heavens opened in judgment against the world. Only Noah accepted because of his righteousness, because of his faith in the Lord God. Everybody else, the heavens opening was judgment upon them. And destruction was unleashed upon them on account of their evil and on account of their iniquity. When we see the heavens opening above the Lord Jesus, this is a symbol very often in the Old Testament of God's judgment. We find Jesus there in the waters once again. These waters in the Old Testament very often are a symbol of God's judgment. We see this happening again in in Psalm 144. We see this very similar language, this very similar imagery. There, David is praying and he is praying for God's deliverance from the hand of his enemies. It it appears from the context of the psalm uh, that there are enemy powers at the borders of Israel and they are seeking to lay his kingdom low and to depose David from his kingdom. And against these nations, David prays this prayer. He says, open your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and his right hand is the right hand of falsehood. David here is praying that the Lord God would open heaven. And like in the days of old when God sent forth the storm to lay low the iniquitous and the sinful, David is praying that the Lord God would do this and that he would spare him from that judgment that the Lord would lay down upon the people. So once again, heaven's opening, waters, these are symbols of judgment, these are symbols of condemnation. Uh, Perhaps we find the most complete example of these symbols of the heavens opening of the waters of the spirit in an interesting place in the first chapter of the prophet Ezekiel there we find these words the 30th year in the fourth month on the fifth day of the month as I was among the exiles by the Chabar canal The heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. That might sound great, right? Oh, I get to see visions of God along this beautiful canal, right? No. 
This is judgment through and through. First of all, what is the Chebar Canal? Why does he mention this? You see, Ezekiel was, was part of the leadership class of the kingdom of Judah, God's people, who had been exiled to Babylon. You see, the people of God had given themselves over to idolatry, and we always come to resemble more and more the gods that we worship. Because they worship these false gods, these, these gods which had given themselves over to all kinds of iniquity, they themselves were sinful. And so therefore God sent the Babylonians to, to, to bring judgment against the people of Judah. And part of that judgment is they took the leadership class out of Judah, out of Jerusalem, and they exiled them many hundreds and thousands of miles away at Babylon, their capital city. Where's Babylon? Well, we would know it now as, as modern-day Iraq, southern modern-day Iraq. And there along the Euphrates River, they had dug many canals, including the Chebar Canal here. The fact that he was there along that canal, this was his God had laid down judgment upon his people. These heavens opening and even seeing visions of God. Once again, this is a vision of judgment. Uh, he gives this incredible detail when the heavens opened. And he, he talks about how there are, there's this chariot-like vehicle which comes down out of heaven. That includes angels and wheels and the imagery is as if God has come down upon a war chariot to, in order to grind down the people even more by means of the words of judgment that Ezekiel would give. And interestingly enough, the Spirit is there. Wherever the Spirit would go, they, these angels, went without turning as they went. So once again, it might sound good to us, right? That at the waters of the Jordan River, the heavens would be opened and the Spirit would descend. But these are all images of judgment. And so it's a surprise that instead of judgment is justification. Instead of condemnation is approval. God speaks, and you might expect God to speak words of judgment upon Jesus. But instead, he says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And so at the, at the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see that as well, through baptism, God's judgment instead can become for us justification. Now, let's be clear that when we receive holy baptism, that there is God's judgment interlaced with all of this. St. Paul says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? 
Now, it's, it's a very sad thing for me, brothers and sisters in Christ, that people hear these words from St. Paul and, and many Christians, and I don't doubt that they are authentic Christians, but I believe that they are confused on this account. Many people hear these words and they, they take that as metaphor. The baptism just simply symbolizes dying with Christ. The baptism is just simply a metaphor for dying with Christ. Let me tell you, if this is just a symbol, if, if baptism is just a symbol, if baptism is just a metaphor, we have no hope. Because Jesus goes, or rather St. Paul goes on to say things that I certainly hope are not metaphor. For he goes on to say, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. I certainly hope that I am not metaphorically united to Jesus' resurrection. I hope I am literally united to Jesus' resurrection. I hope, and my hope is that you hope, that when Jesus returns in power and might and glory, that you will rise with him to live in his kingdom forever. And if it's our hope that our salvation is not a metaphor, then certainly we should take St. Paul that this is a literal dying with Christ in baptism. Baptism is nothing less than a miracle. It is a miracle by which we become united to something that happened 2,000 years ago and half a world away, and therefore we have the promise that even though we die, yet shall we live yet another miracle. But that's a miracle that we receive by means of joining Jesus in the judgment laid down upon him in his holy cross. The cross of Jesus is where he faced our condemnation. The cross of Jesus is where Jesus faced our judgment. The cross of Jesus is where Jesus was submerged in the waters of God's judgment. The cross of Jesus is where heaven opened in judgment against him. The cross of Jesus is where he gave up his spirit as he was under the just condemnation under God's law. Jesus, even though he had no sin, took on the sins of every one of you. Jesus, even though he was a son in whom the Father was well pleased, yet in his cross took God's displeasure for you and for me. Now the promise is that even as we join Jesus in that judgment through the waters of holy baptism, so also will we follow Jesus into his resurrection. And so Christian baptism is a place where judgment is turned into justification, where condemnation is transformed into acceptance and approval. And so even as these words were spoken over Jesus in his baptism, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. These words were spoken to you as 
well. And so God looks at you through a different lens. I talked about how the the love of my grandmother gave me lenses so that, you know, her pretty crummy house was transformed into something beautiful and lovely to my eyes. The lens of Christ and his radical obedience for your sake and his atoning death for you, you are transformed in the eyes of Christ Jesus. God sees you not as a rebel, but as a son. God sees you not as sinful, but as a saint. Through the lens of Christ, God sees you not as condemned, but as righteous. Praise be to God. The baptism of Christ our Lord transforms judgment into justification. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us gladly follow the Lord Jesus. We have followed the Lord Jesus into his death through baptism. In this life, let us follow him in leading lives which reflect that righteousness as we conform our lives to his example rather than the example of the godless among us. Let us follow him as well into eternal life, the forgiveness and mercy given to us in these blessed waters. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.